Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. back to the weekly juice podcast as always it's your boys here ryan and Corey, with another episode for you today we had the pleasure of interviewing mm -hmm. ziona mcintyre she is a real estate agent and a short-term and mid-term rental expert with over 12 units in her portfolio she also co-hosts a number of units but her her main thing is where she's an expert on the mid-term rental game and that's what we kind of unpacked in the episode it's she she labeled it as like an executive type stay where like traveling nurses will come in and stay in her properties for one to three months. And some of them um, get stipends and they get basically not spending any of their own money. They just get paid through work to, to go find a place to live. So um, she became an expert on that, ended up writing the book on it that actually released today. Yeah. 30 day stay real estate investors guide to mastering the mid medium term rental. And she's like a, uh, she's really Zen and really cool. She got a cool vibe to her. She's not trying to build this like massive portfolio. She's hit financial freedom. She said she did it in two years and she's also a real estate agent. Um, I just thought she was like a really cool person to talk to because the, the market is shifting from the short-term rental space a little bit. And I think medium-term rental is becoming something that's really, really popular all across the United States. And it doesn't have to be a vacation rental market. So there's a lot of tips and tricks in this episode of like, well, maybe your property that you thought would be a good long-term rental, but it's in near an urban area, you could probably get more income on it being a medium term rental. I'm literally thinking about this with my house when I move out. Like I guarantee, and your house, like we're in areas that like near your hospitals, near universities, like medium term, you could probably increase your cash flow by 500 to a thousand bucks. And then you don't have to worry about the the management of short-term rental. There's so much that goes into it from the cleaning fees yeah. to, to getting people, like random people. 90 days is great, systems. Right? Totally. And, yeah. and we do have a friend that knows how to manage these. And yeah. so I'll be handing this off gladly to him. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome because you realize that there's just like a, you don't have to have a, a shitload of cash flow or zero cash flow. It's like, there can be a, like a, a middle ground or a medium ground, mid ground, whatever you want to call it. But it's it's a lot more than you'd expect. Um, yep. And Ziana, Ziana tells us throughout the episode. So, um, well, without spoiling anymore, I think we should bring her in. For real estate investors, going mobile is the next big thing for managing our properties. We like to have the power and resources in the palm of our hand. When we're hunting for deals, we're consistently go, go, go. Having RentReady's property management app is great for checking in on all our properties, especially when it's time to collect rent. With RentReady, we get the benefit of both mobile and web apps that allow us to collect rent from anywhere. We not only get instant notifications when rent is paid, but we also have the ability to send automatic reminders to tenants when rent is due or late. From finding the perfect tenant to collecting rent, everything an investor needs to build wealth and manage their investing portfolio can now be found under one roof with RentReady. The most exciting news is that RentReady gave us an exclusive 50% off promo code that can now be used by all of our Weekly Juice listeners. You just need to visit RentReady.com and enter the code JUICEBOT to get 50% off any RentReady plan. That is R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and enter the code JUICEBOT, J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D to receive 50% off any RentReady plan. 
As you know, we talk a lot about financial independence, building revenue streams, and buying yourself more income. Wanted to give our listeners a special opportunity to potentially add a different revenue stream for themselves and into their portfolio. Tune into episode 110 to hear Corey and I peel back a couple layers on something that we're investing in currently at the moment. Just gives you a snapshot of where we are in our journey and gives you the opportunity to invest as well. This specific opportunity is to invest in a YouTube content monetization channel. And we go through every single step of the way, how we got involved and all the ins and outs of it. If you're interested, after listening to the episode, feel free to drop us a DM. We're happy to answer any questions that you have and we'll point you in the right direction. All right, Zinyana, welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. We are extremely excited to have you on the show. We've heard a lot about you. And uh, yeah, we're ready to share your story with our audience. So thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Absolutely. So if you could walk us through the story of how you got into real estate investing, where you got the idea, and then I guess kind of your pursuits up until now. Well, I don't know how much time we got, but we can talk about all the pursuits. We might have to do a little one, two, skip a few, but I'll I'll talk about the very beginning because I think the hardest thing for people is just getting started in real estate. And then after that, it becomes a little rinse and repeat. So for me, it was really accidental. Um, I heard about Airbnb in 2011 and my friend had uh, just gotten laid off of work and he had this really expensive apartment in New York City. And he's like, man, I've got this lease and I just want to go travel and I don't know how I'm going to um, fill the time. Um, and so he found out about Airbnb and he decided like, hey, I'm going to try this thing out and go rent my place. Um, and it turned out that a year later, he had made $50,000 in this apartment that he never owned while he was out traveling the world. And um he had bugged me about it the entire time. Like, you got to do this. You got to do this. But at the time I was in massage school and I was like, I don't, I don't need to do this. What are you talking about? But after I heard $50,000, which I swear back then was kind of like a hundred grand, it just felt like so much money. Uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta try. Let me just see. So what I had at the time was I was renting a two bedroom apartment and one of the rooms was for a roommate who was about to move out. And so I had the whole place furnished with my own furniture. And I thought, well, you know, if it doesn't work, I'll just get another roommate. You know, what do I have to lose? I didn't have to invest anything to get started. And so it worked out so well that her room was renting. Then I started renting my room and staying with friends. I eventually got another apartment and lived between two apartments for a couple of years until I got to a place where I could afford uh, then I bought a place and I started buying out of state and it just kind of kept growing organically. At the time, I was also co-hosting for people, which is like Airbnb management. And I grew that to over 60 units in five countries. So I did a lot of that. I got super burnt on that and stopped doing it. So now I sell real estate and um, I have a, a pretty large portfolio. I have 12 units that are short, medium, and long-term. So there's just a variety in there and they're across four states. So I do a lot of uh, out-of-state investing. Got it. So you are in the Boulder, Colorado area, correct? And that yeah. how much of your portfolio is in that area? And the reason why I asked the question is because I'm curious what it's like to be investing in an area with such you know, major appreciation, rent growth, a, a place that's grow. I, I maybe more Denver than that, but I assume Boulder's seeing some of that too. Is that right? Boulder's huge. Boulder is the more ex the most expensive town. 
um, in Colorado as a whole. So it's just very limited on space. So in Boulder, I own two apartments. I have one in Denver, I have one in Colorado Springs. So I'm kind of like around Colorado. What has happened since I started in Boulder is that the regulations came in. So I think it was about, it was 2017. They made it so it had to be either primary residence or month to month. And so I've had to kind of adapt to that as I go, but it still works really, really well. And talking about appreciation, the first property that I bought in Boulder, which was in 2014, it was just a couple months later that we had a huge hike in appreciation. Like there was just a big, uh, I don't know, gain in prices and it went up a hundred grand. So that's like just one of those magical things that can happen when you're in real estate. And it doesn't happen if you're arbitraging and it doesn't happen if you're renting. So there's a lot of reasons to actually buy real estate. So I want to talk about you met. Well, you mentioned that you did this in a few different countries and yeah. that's interesting to me. So is this part of like traveling and you just like go rent a place out and then while renting it out, you would Airbnb it? Can you walk us through that process? It's super interesting. No. So when I was starting to do co-hosting, um, I started also writing a blog and then getting on a lot of podcasts. And so people would find me from all over the world and they'd be like, well, could you manage my rental? Or like, I want to try Airbnb. How does this work? And so I was like, yeah, well, let's try, you know? So we had one in Mexico. Um, we had one in Cape Town. That one was really difficult because the time difference had one in Spain for a while. So yeah, you know, we just kind of I don't know why I'm saying we, because it was me, but <laughs> yeah, just try to make it work. It's harder. I find that it's way more seasonal out of the country. So when people ask me, oh, should I buy in Portugal or something like that? I'm I'm usually like, nah, I just buy in the US. Yeah, I was like curious about the systems that you set up to be able to manage it. Like, did you have like VAs? Like, what was that? What was your process there? Because I feel like this was training wheels for you learning how to do this to to then moving into your own short-term and midterm rentals. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I had a, my own short term then, and I was continuing to get more, but I only had a couple. I mean, maybe I had four or five. It just sort of depends on where it was at in that moment. And so I was already managing my own out of state. So it just seemed like, well, if you're an hour down the road or you're in a state over or you're in the next country, it's all the same processes. So I wasn't really worried about it. Cool. Yeah. Did you mention, I thought I caught that you said you got burned on this? Did it not work out? Ooh, yeah. Um, when I kind of started slowing down, I had, I had like 22 to 25 because ones would come on seasonally and then go back off and stuff. So I had quite a few going at once. And I just realized like it, it ended up being that I had an assistant that was doing most of it, but all of the worst stuff rolled to the top. So if you're a host, you get to see like the really appreciative, cool travelers. And then you also hear about some complaints, but if you've got a team, then they should be handling all of the basic stuff, good or bad. And then it's only if it's like a crazy emergency that you hear about it. And so it's just like a lot of bad stuff all the time. It's not so fun after a while. Hmm. Got That's it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious about, you know, getting started, maybe take us back a little bit in, in buying your own short-term rentals and, and medium-term rentals and what made you decide to go down that route and maybe just the how-to of like some action steps that you took to get yourself involved and the decision to, you know, why, like what, what was your thought process and what were your goals behind it? Yeah. So at first it was really just like, can I live really cheap? 
And then it's like, can I live for free? And then at the next point, I started to realize I had these goals about getting to financial independence. At the time I had started reading Mr. Money Mustache, it's a financial independence blog. Um, in 2011 is when he kind of started. And so I just wanted to copy him. I was like, man, I'm 26 at the time. Can I retire by the time I'm 30? Just like this guy did. And I don't know how I'm going to do it because he saved up like the equivalent of 600,000 or 650 is a lot of money for a college student. Um, but what I found out over time is that instead of saving all that money and putting it into index funds, if I could just get the cash flow going from these apartments, ones that I didn't even have to own, then all of a sudden I could be financially independent. And so I was able to achieve that at 28. And I just really needed like 2,500 in profit coming in. Um, and that set me on the start for that. To go off of that, how has becoming an agent, which is active income for you, how has that yeah. helped, helped your process in learning how to be an effective investor? Yeah. You know, I've been in this for like 10 years now. So it was like iterations all the time. I started just by renting my own. Then I bought some, then I co-hosted, then I realized like better ways to buy. And then I wanted to have, um, I did a lot of like consulting for people. And I realized that at the rate that I was charging, people would get like one session and then I'd never see them again. And I was really curious to hear their stories and and hear about their portfolio and how it was shaping over time. And so when I became an agent, all of a sudden I can follow people now because they're getting, they're paying me out of the deal. And so it's not this like, oh, I have to pay out of my pocket. Right. And so I've worked with people where, you know, they've built, they've bought five places over the last couple of years. And it's just like, I get to be there as an advisor along the way. And I find that so much more rewarding. Mm, I really like that. Yeah. yeah. You're still tied to the deal too. And then you build your own community on that side and everything yeah. I think that you're doing is smart because it's all synergized, right? It's all like towards the same direction. I think a lot of people are out there where they'll have a nine to five job. Let's just say they're, I don't know, a doctor or they're a construction worker or something like anything lawyer, but then they want to get into real estate and it's just, it's different, right? And you have to like shut your brain off on one thing and start it up on another thing. Um, yeah after nine to five. And it's, it's awesome to hear the stories a lot. A lot of the successful real estate investors we've heard of like over time, they've just gotten all their lanes in going in one direction, which is kind of nice rather than like crossing over. So uh, yeah. to you, I think that's really smart. I also want to talk about, um, I think we will get there towards the end of the show, but I, I do want to talk. I know you host your own podcast. Um, but before we get there, can we unpack your portfolio a little bit more? Sure. Um, yeah. So what do you want to know? You mentioned you had 12, 12 of your own. And then, you mm -hmm. know, you co-host and do a bunch of other things. Can you just talk us through like the inception, like where you started and then how you scaled that up to 12? Totally. So before I bought, I had two one bedroom apartments in Boulder and I was living between the two. And that was kind of like, yeah, it was a sacrifice, but that was the way I was going to get going and live for free and be financially independent. So I lived out of a suitcase for two years. It's hard work. I don't recommend it. Um, but from there, I literally had this one bedroom that I think I was renting for like 1100 bucks, but I was making maybe 1700 in the slow season and then like four grand in the high season. And so I knew that one inside and out because I'd had it for a while. And so when I went to go buy a place, I found one five minutes down the road, about the same size, just a little one bedroom. And the mortgage was only 900. And I was like, oh, well, if I've been paying 1100, I know exactly the numbers that I'm making. Buying one for a little bit cheaper is like a no brainer. 
And so that was a really easy, um, I don't know, I call it training wheels sometimes. Like I feel like Airbnb like gave me the training wheels and the confidence to buy. It was still scary, but it was a lot less scary when I knew kind of what I was going to get for it. So that was the inception point. Then from there, Boulder is a pretty expensive market. It was then, and it is probably going to be forever. And so every time you get started in an expensive market, it just feels like a big ask. It's going to be a hard, a heavy lift. And so I... I had a friend that was getting married in St. Louis and she had been asking me to come out and visit. And so I was like, well, I'll go for the wedding. And when I was out there, I was chatting with some wedding guests and everybody's like, oh, what do you do? We talked about Airbnb and they had told me, oh, they had friends doing it. This is back in 2015 when not a lot of people knew about it still. Um, and they said, you know, it's, it's doing really well here. We're thinking about doing it ourselves. And I knew my friend's rent was really low, like 400 bucks a month. And so I asked them, you know, what do you pay for your mortgage? And they're like, oh, it's like $300 for like a three bedroom house with like a garage and a front and backyard. Like I was paying $1,100 for a one bedroom apartment, right. At that same time. So for me, it was like, I'm buying a house now. Like I decided then I came home and two weeks, I had something under contract and I was out there closing two weeks later. So yes, I'm a little unique in the fact that I like take action, but it's something that anybody could do, right? It's just like, you have to set yourself up for it. Did you go into that thinking that they were going to be short and midterm rentals or were they long-term rentals to start that you converted? How did you get to that space? It took me a really long time to get into long-term rentals because I thought that the cash flow just didn't make sense. When I was getting started, I had started with Airbnb. And so I saw these great numbers and I saw people fully retire on one property. And I'm just like, why would you buy, you know, 20 long-term rentals and get $100 a month or $200 a month? And then you have one furnace go out and it eats your like whole year's cash flow. It just yeah, doesn't or, make sense or like to me. floors that you have to replace for like 11 grand that we have to do this week that we have to do the sub floors that's going to eat our cash flow for two and a half years. So yes, exactly. Yeah. We know how you feel. <laughs> Sorry. Totally. I didn't that it, just happens, it happens. Right? It's so I didn't happens. mean to cut you off. Yeah. No, no, you're good. Yeah. So it, I didn't get into medium term rentals until I had to. Basically, it's just when regulation started coming in and I realized, oh, I need to pivot. But I think I would have stuck with short term if that was as easy as, you know, it had been. But markets change and you have to be able to pivot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what is unique about our us talking to you is we haven't really had a lot of people come on and break down medium term rentals, right? You actually have yeah. a book that's coming out. Uh, we're going to talk about that as we get later in the episode. But can you describe the difference between short-term and medium-term, I believe there's a 30-day mark that that makes it medium-term. So who yeah. medium-term, just give us the explanation there for, for us. Yeah, totally. So it's nothing new. People have been doing executive rentals forever, and it's just like it got sexy after COVID. And so with all the regulations coming in, people are needing to have a different plan. And so medium-term has become a really good plan B for a lot of, you know, owners that have rentals. And so it is this 30-day mark. And what I love is that it's seen as a long-term rental. So it's easy to get a rental license if you need one in your area. You're not paying lodging tax. You know, they're, they just kind of look the other way, but you're still able to get a lot more cash flow than a long-term rental. It's easier to manage than a short-term rental because you don't have so much coming and going. 
less expenses. There's there's a lot of benefits, but it just kind of depends where you're at in your investing horizon. If you need to like milk every dollar, then maybe a short-term rental is going to be better for you. But if you want something a little bit, you know, more coast, then you maybe want a medium-term rental. What is the difference in how you manage them? Is it is it very similar processes? Uh, just because... I assume that some of, not all of them are 30 days, right? Do you have any 60 day renters? How does that work? And then also who is your, who's your tenant pool? Yeah. So, um, we do, I think the most common is probably, um, three months. So you get travel nurses on a 13 week assignment. And so that's really common. And then they usually have the option to do one, um, renew. And so they can do six months. And so often you'll see that, but travel nurses are just really great. So you get travel nurses, you get a lot of digital nomads, especially since COVID, a lot of people are working from home and they want to be like working from Austin and then working from Chicago and, you know, traveling around. Um, you get people coming in for different things. So, you know, we've got like professors coming in for the college and different speakers coming in for things that take a little bit longer, scientists that come into the lab. So you'd be surprised people come in for all kinds of stuff, but there is a real shortage on month to month rentals. And so you actually can take over the, that market space pretty got easily. It. So it's, it's not necessarily like vacation. It's well, it's not vacation, but my, does it have to be in a touristy type of market or do you think midterm rentals can work in, in a, a larger majority of markets than even short-term? Yeah. So I actually prefer urban markets. And I think we were talking before the show a little bit about how you have this idea that like short-term is going away, or at least it's going to change. Right. So we can debate on that a little bit if you want to talk about that, but medium term, I think feels a lot safer because even if you can do short-term in whatever town you're in, if you've got enough of an urban market where say you have at least two hospitals within five miles and maybe you have a university or something like that, that's going to be a great backup plan. So then you can do medium term and worst case scenario, you can do long term. The thing I don't like about a lot of the vacation rental markets is that you have this crazy high mortgage and then nobody actually lives there. So if you're somewhere like Smoky Mountains or whatever, that is super hot for a lot of investors, like there are a couple cleaning ladies and a couple people that work at restaurants, but they are not paying $4,000 a month to live in your vacation rental. So if it doesn't vacation rent, you're kind of stuck. So this is interesting, very interesting. And I, I, I would agree. And this is just from complete outsider's perspective, right? Where we talk about short-term rentals and I do think those are more of a vacation style, but for us, we're right outside of Philadelphia. And I yeah. think that it's a hub. I mean, let's just think about the airports. It's one of the biggest hubs to get to any other city in the US. There's like 20 <laughs> hospitals, 20 at, there's like 20 universities. It's crazy. Totally. There's yeah. so much going on in such a, it's a relatively small city in, in my estimation. And um, I think getting, getting a, I don't know. I'm just thinking like a, like not a duplex, but just getting like, I, mean, I guess it could be a duplex, but getting, getting a spot in the city and then renting it out either on a short-term rental basis or a long-term rental basis is great. But this midterm, I love what you said. You said like executive, that was kind of the, mm -hmm. the theme of it because I'm I'm a huge proponent of these traveling nurses. I think they get a stipend or something like that yeah. where they get paid to go. They're not, it's not their cash. They're just getting paid to go find a great place to live for the amount of time that they're there. So I think people are willing to spend all of that on a, a, a really nice place, right? So they can have the comfort of, of living there. So I think it's just a smart move. I, my question here is, 
on the management side, is this something you're doing or do you find that there's property management companies that will do short-term or sorry, mid-term rentals um, more, more regularly now? And then like, what's the percentage they charge? Um, is it 20%? You get the 8%? Yeah. So usually I find that long-term's around 10. Sometimes you see people with less, but then they're charging you a lot of little fees, the, you know, move in fee and move out fee and releasing fee. Um, with medium, I was doing it for a little while before I kind of dropped the management and we were doing 15% because our short terms were 20 to 25%. And so that's kind of like what I had in mind, but I haven't seen a lot of people who do it. I do know one person who has about a hundred that she manages and she's only doing 10%, but she's not necessarily local to whatever market you're in. And so she says like, well, you might have to pay somebody a little bit more to go there on occasion or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it can be found. It's just, again, with anything new, it takes a little while for like all the services to come in. Cool. So let's pick back up on the story you went to the wedding and then mm-hmm. you found you found out that rents were about 300 bucks. And you're like, all right, I need to get a place. And I, was, was this St. Louis, Missouri? Yeah. Right? Great. Mm-hmm. So you grabbed a place there. And then can you walk us through the remaining um, journey of like to scale yeah. up to 12? Do you have a, like a mix of duplexes, single families? Like how, what are they all structured as? Yeah. So I ended up having four places in St. Louis, but I've sold off a few of them. So now I have just one there. Um I, yeah, I 1031 things. So I kind of move money around, but in 2019, I thought, oh, I have reached my goals. I think I'm going to just like coast now. So I'm going to move money into, um, long-term rentals that are new construction because I figured they would be super easy and I wouldn't have to think about it. And so I got really lucky and bought five units that were just super like a great deal. They went up a lot and the rents were great. So I got lucky with that, but then the, the market changed again. And so it wasn't something that it was going to be sustainable. So I'm, I'm happy with those because when I started investing in St. Louis, what I could afford was a hundred year old home and those require a lot of maintenance. So, yep. you know, you start where you can start, but eventually you try to sell off the problem properties and then get easier ones. So after the ones in St. Louis, I got something in Colorado Springs. So I have a, a one bedroom home there, which is rare, but yeah. Um, and then I, yeah, I have two places in Boulder and I got a place just recently, um, in Washington state. So I have a place kind of outside of Seattle area. It's like on the sound and that's a vacation rental. Um, I have a four bedroom townhome in like Panama city beach. That's a vacation rental. So it's, I don't know what to say. There is no cohesiveness about my portfolio. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just everywhere. like wherever I find a deal, I'll buy something. And there's deals in every market. So, yeah. you know, it just depends. Well, Ziana, I, I'm curious about the the financing that went into this. Like, did you just, mm-hmm. were you just, you know, making money as a realtor and co-hoster and, and then, you know, taking the money from your, your short-term and medium-term rentals and reinvesting them? Have you used anybody else's money? Like, how was your strategy to scale and to continuously be able to get mortgages and buy more? Yeah. So when I got started, um, short-term rentals weren't really seen as income. So I don't know if you guys kind of remember that time, but lending was really weird on short-term rentals for a long time. Um, and so my first loan came from a former landlord and I asked him for a private loan and that's how I got my first deal. Um, the second one was a HELOC on that first one, because I had told you it increased like hundred K. And so I went and bought a house in St. Louis that was 75 K. So that was easy to just go to the same guy. 
After that, I needed partners. So I found partners that were just kind of silent partners that would get the mortgage and put up half of the deposit and the furniture. And so I did that a few times. So it wasn't until maybe my seventh deal that I ever got a mortgage. I just figured out ways to get other people in it. I bought something in cash. I bought something with someone else's cash and borrowed back. So yeah, you just kind of figure it out. Cool. Now, I know we did talk about your portfolio being left, right, up, down, like pretty much everywhere because totally. there's deals in every market. That's it's great though. Like who cares? If it works, it works. But yeah, I tell myself I'm diversified, right? I'm diversified through the short, medium and long-term strategies, but I'm also diversified in four states, right? So if there's like a tornado, I don't lose all my homes. Yeah. I mean, hurricane, hurricane coming up yeah. on Florida. So watch out if there you're in Tampa. You um, mm-hmm. I will say the Washington state one is interesting. And then also you have one in Florida, literally like polar opposite sides of the country. So my question is, how did you find the deals? Because they are so far apart. It's almost like, well, how the heck are you monitoring things in Washington state and also in Florida? That would be yeah. just kind of cool for someone listening who's interested in getting in the game to kind of figure their, get their bearings as well. Yeah. I think one of my best kept secrets, and you probably get this on the podcast, is just like the more people that you talk to about investing, the more you're going to learn. So even when I'm doing consulting calls with people and they're asking me where to buy, they're also telling me where they're buying and why and all these things. And so I learn about obscure markets and like weird deals all the time. And there's a lot of times when people go, okay, I'm going to pass on this deal. And then I can just say, hey, can I go for it? Like, are you done with that? So, you know, I find stuff in weird ways. I like that. We we've done the same. So it's interesting. It's it's hard. Yeah. You're not sitting at your computer every night like scouring the US. Just, <laughs> there's too many, I have there's done too many that. markets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's more just like different markets are hot at different times. And you hear like a little whisper and want to be early in. And sometimes it wins, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. Awesome. Very cool. Well, let's talk about your podcast. So we had uh, your co-host on the show way back, uh, Craig Kerlop, the Fi guy. And he's awesome. Yeah, we love that guy. And so um, can you talk about the inception of your guys' podcast, what you talk about, and uh, how people can find it? Yeah, so it's called Invest2Fi. So invest, the number two, and FI, which is financial independence. Generally, we're talking about how to use real estate investing to get to financial independence. Craig had the podcast before me and did a couple of episodes and then brought me in later. So he was kind of like the brainchild, but then we made it our own thing. And I love it. I think um, I learned so much from the guests all the time. It gives you a little bit of investing ADD, but otherwise it's it's really oh fun. Oh my God. We know yeah. all about investing ADD. In FOMO, investing FOMO. <laughs> yeah, so like, uh, totally. Should go left, right. Well, there you go. Should I go Washington? Should I go to Florida? Should I go to freaking New Hampshire? You I just happen know. to have yeah. done it all. Yeah, no, literally. Yeah, you took action, which is smart. I just but have more it's, time. It's, yeah. Hey, it's you're, you're financially independent, right? So that's great. So that's like that's the goal of the whole thing. But I think uh, on the same token, I want to bring up it's like it is a lot of free game that we get, right? We we bring people in on the show that are more successful than us that have done bigger things took bigger leaps, but then also it's like a deal will get thrown here. A deal will get thrown there because they trust you and they get to know you as a person, right? You're just not like someone emailing in and and it's just free um, education, which is the coolest part, right? You, you said you totally. learn so much on a daily basis. It's, uh, it's kind of the spark notes sometimes of books. And it's like, you can skip through all the mistakes of someone else and just say, here you go. This is what I would do if I was you. And so yeah. um, that's sure. our experience too. So very cool. Yeah. I, I, um, 
I'm so like stuck on this midterm, this midterm rental thing. And uh, in sure. a good way, because I really want to learn more about it. So maybe if you yeah. would just give us like a, as I understand the numbers right now, it's really hard to buy long-term rentals, not anywhere, right? But in our market, it's it really hard. Tough. In your yeah. market, I know it's really hard, meaning bolder. But, and then short-term rentals is like this big fad that I think we're going to talk about this because I want to talk about the regulations. But getting to my question, can you break down the numbers on one of your midterm rentals and what that looks like in terms of the cash that you bring in, the mortgage expenses, and then what profits you have from the midterm? Because I'm looking at it like it's obviously in between you what you would make in the long term and and then the, the short term. Yeah. So, you know, I think my market is a really good example because it's expensive. And so people you know, you can almost make a deal from anywhere in the Midwest. They just feel like they're a lot easier there. But I think it's good for people to see, like, sometimes there's a deal just sitting on the market. So this is a perfect example of what it's like to be a real estate agent. I had a friend reach out and she's like, oh, you know, I'm going through a breakup and thinking about buying a one bedroom. And so I immediately like jump on the MLS, look all around. And there's this Q1 bedroom that I hadn't seen yet that just posted, I don't know, maybe a week ago or something. And it was in the same complex as the one that I own. So it was like two doors down. I knew the old lady. I knew the whole story. And so I sent it over to the girl and she wasn't interested. So I was like, okay, I'm going for this. And it was just that easy. It was sitting on the MLS, just waiting for a deal. The problem with it is that it had a difficulty with financing. And so sometimes with condos, if there's not enough owner occupants, it's harder to get a loan. So I just jumped on the phone and I called and called and called until I got someone who said yes. So sometimes you just need to be a little bit um, persistent, right? But this deal I ended up getting for two fifty five. dollars um, It's just a one bedroom, one bath. And so with mortgage and HOA, I think it was about $1,250. And long-term, it could probably rent $1,250 to $1,400. But all of a sudden, short-term, I can get $2,400, $2,500 most of the year. But in June, I can get 3000 and in July, I can get four. And so, you know, it's a, it's a clean 1000 over in profit. And then some months I get better. So like right away, that's, you know, like almost a 17% cash on cash return. And I, yeah, I, I'm really happy with something like that. And of course, there's sexier deals out there, but it's just to show that even in an expensive market, all you have to do is furnish a place and, and you can get some good returns. Well, and also I would argue like a lot of investors stay away from condos, right? Because of the HOAs and because of all that. But in your mm-hmm. scenario, let's just, I mean, there's less maintenance. You know what I mean? You don't have like- Oh my God, basement. I love condos. You have, yeah, you don't have a basement that's like, <laughs> you know, potential, whatever, shit's going wrong in the basement, flooded, whatever. Yeah. You don't have, you know, you have this HOA that hopefully pays for some of the things. So I think in that scenario, in the short term and medium term, I would actually tell people to try to go find the condos and the associations that- are allowing people to do this because it's part of a revenue stream for them. And they, the tourism brings more people and the economy gets better because of that. So I like the, I like the condos for that scenario. I would stay away from the, the long term, but only that that's generally because, because like they're one and two bedrooms and they just don't cash flow very much if they're that small from a long term yeah. perspective. So yeah, I think that's um, great. Let me talk about the condos that I love just to like give people a quick tip. Um, I love condos that they have the communal boiler and they have the communal water heater. So like you don't have a furnace or a water heater in there. And then I also love the ones that don't have washer and dryer in unit. And I know that sounds weird, but like month to month, people don't really care about that. 
So literally in my condo, the only thing that can like break is a, is a fridge, a stove and a dishwasher. And like those things have lasted forever. So I love that. It's like maintenance is nothing. Cool. So you're saying that you're seeing on these midterm rentals, like, you know, maybe you factor in some, some maintenance. Did you say you were managing them yourself? Yeah. I mean, I have an assistant now, but yeah. Yeah. So you're 800, a thousand bucks a month in cash flow, roughly on these midterm rentals. Yeah. Great. It's awesome. Um, Cool. So I know we were talking about this earlier and I was like segueing a little bit here. I'm curious on what you think the future is for short-term rentals. And even if we've talked about it on the podcast, you know, five, six, seven months ago, it's, it's already changed. We just bought our first short-term rental. It's in a market where we feel like it's going to last for a long time because there's um, it's in a mountain area where the people go in the summer and also go in the winter. And then sometimes in the fall and spring, and the area is conducive for it, but we're seeing is it like stuff. In, yeah, the Poconos. Yeah, do you okay, know the Poconos? Great. Oh, I, yeah. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're learning that pretty quick. Um, yeah, so well, give yeah. us a breakdown on the Poconos. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't know that much. I'm just being silly. Oh, okay. um, but I mean, I just knew that you guys are close to Pennsylvania and that yeah, yeah. it's one of those cool markets that has two high seasons. And that's why I feel yeah. like it's a little bit safer. And then it really depends hamlet to hamlet. But some of the little towns are more strict than others. Um, so it seems like if you can get four bedrooms plus, it can be really good. So I don't know what your guys' scenario is. But we bought yeah. a, a smaller a two bed, one bath, really like a couple's getaway. So it's not going to it's okay. not going to crush it in terms of the cash flow, but it's going to be really steady and like it's going to be filled all the time. And we have a great management yeah. company that we're working with. But to, to my question here is like I'm seeing Atlanta. I'm seeing Philadelphia yeah. start to do this. I'm seeing places yeah. that are saying they're outlawing them, outlawing the short term rentals or you're only allowed to have one or your mail has to go there. Right. It has to be tied to your license, like some, some you mm-hmm. know, weird stuff like what are you seeing and what do you feel like the future is of short term and midterm? Yeah. So right now I'm more bullish on urban markets, like I was saying. And so what I like sometimes is to find something right outside of the city limits. Um, So that for Denver is a good example. Like Denver, they want you to be primary residence. But just outside of Denver, there are a couple littler towns that are pretty flexible. They all have their own rules, but depending on where you're at, you know, it can be good. So I like that, but I always love having a backup plan just in case, like what you're saying, in a couple of years, people get sick of it, you know, too much complaining or or whatnot from neighbors. So what I've liked to lead my clients into in the Denver area is to find something that's like an unofficial duplex. So they have ones where it's a ranch home, but there's a basement and it's got a separate entrance. And so if you need to do the bigger short-term rental, so generally a short-term rental works really well if it's four bedrooms plus, four or five bedrooms. And so if you have the opportunity to put it into two units, if, you know, worst case scenario, then you can do midterm. The problem is that finding a midterm family that wants to rent a five-bedroom house, it's not that likely. So you need to know what your exit strategy is. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, I'm glad we got, you know, so your perspective on it since it's like the majority of what you're doing. I'm mm-hmm. curious what your future goals are with your business then. Your 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 realtor business and then also your um short-term and mid-term rental business. Are you trying to scale up to 30, 40, 50 or do you have a lifestyle that you're that you love now and and, and just tell us more about your future. 
Yeah. I mean, if you can hear the roosters crowing in the background, uh, that'll tell you I'm in Maui. So, you know, we're here for a month. We travel a lot. We're gone probably six months out of the year um, from Boulder. And so, yeah, I really love my lifestyle. And I think a problem, I don't know if it's a problem, but I, I don't necessarily agree with people's idea of the real estate world and just wanting more and more. It's like when people get 10 doors, then they want a hundred doors. Like they're never satisfied. And I just don't think that collecting more money is really going to make you that much happier. And so for me, yes, I'll probably keep buying because it's fun. You know, I, I enjoy the deal hunting and whatnot, but um, I just don't want too much to manage. So I think I have thought about kind of like turning my properties into 10 really nice properties and maybe having million dollar properties um, and just not having that much to manage. But it always changes with the the market. And I think right now, if I had $10 million Airbnbs, if they weren't like half paid off, I'd probably be freaked out because those are big um, mortgages, right? So I'm not quite sure what the best thing is. I'm just kind of keeping keeping growing over time and seeing where the deals are. But no, I don't. I'm trying to stay away from monetary and numbers goals because I just don't think they're that satisfying. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up and then the happiness level, because uh, um, we love to talk about as we get wind down the show, we talk about, you know, some things that maybe more are more personal and just like life in general, because that, you know, it's almost like, what do you do it all for? And I'm curious, based mm -hmm. on the happiness level, like what have you found? Um, what makes you say that? And I'm I'm glad that you did, because I, I have trouble myself, you know, stopping myself from wanting more and more and more. And then I realized that at a certain point, I don't think it will make us any happier. I'm curious if you've had personal yeah. experience with like a, a certain growth thing that you thought you were at the top of a mountain and maybe you got there and you didn't feel that way. Is there something specific that triggered that thought to you? Cause I think it's the mature thought to think. And a lot of people have trouble getting to that space. Yeah. I think for me, when I started kind of my FI journey at 26, I like put everything into it. It was just like, you know, do I want to go out to eat or do I really want to like save this extra like $10? It was just like, it was such a game, but I got there really quick. I got there in two years. And I realized that once I had achieved my goal, I was a little bit like depressed. It was like, it was so fun to work towards this thing. And so then I just kind of set more goals. I said, well, okay, I want like a million dollar net worth you know, and I got there and then I wanted 10 units and I got there and they didn't do anything. You know, it was kind of like when I got to 1 million, I was like, well, I'll make it 10 million. You're just moving that needle further away. It's not really getting to that satisfaction. So for me now, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Burning Man person. So I just came back from Burning Man. It's like a place where I get a lot of good thinking in, yeah, but cool. there I was like, you know, I realized that the first quarter of my life was really about figuring out my finances so that I can spend the rest of my life developing as a person. So I'm more concerned now about spirituality and like helping others and just kind of like making the world a little bit better. So yeah, I, yeah, I could make another million, but I don't know that it would change my life that much. That's really cool. Now, I don't know enough about Burning Man, but I want to talk about it because I hear, sure. I actually saw some of your pictures. They look really cool. Then also Rich Fetke, we had him on our show. Mm -hmm. um, he's also in our time with Bigger Pockets. He and his wife um, just went as well. Can you talk about that and like what, what goes on? They were this? Like there? Man, yeah. I wish I had known that. That would have been yeah. so cute. They're so cute. Anyway, they're my favorite. <laughs> uh, Kathy did the foreword on our book. So if you want to check that out. Um, but that? yeah, there you go. Tying it all in. Um, 
It is hard to describe. So, I mean, I think a lot of people just want to equate it to like a music festival because that's just kind of like what we know. But I would say it's more like a social experiment. It's kind of like living in an art uh, installation or something like that. But essentially, Burning Man has no money exchange. So you go there and everything's on a gifting economy. So the idea is that everyone brings extra and they give it away. And so there's no bartering. There's no money. Um, and you're there to kind of like survive and support yourself. So you have to bring everything that you need because you're out in the desert, but there's everything. It's a full city. It's like 70,000 people living in a place and each camp has their own offerings. So some of them are going to be workshops and some will be roller rink or a costume store or this or that. And you just go and you take everything that you want. It's not like you don't have to buy anything. Interesting. Whoa. I thought it was literally just like a, music- a Firefly music festival. That's like the only it, it, that shows how much I know. That's really cool. That's why I had to ask yeah. about it because I don't know. I I try not to judge any person, but like for for me, I'm like uh, Burning Man. When I hear it, I'm thinking like drugs, music festival, like crazy good time with psychedelics. And then it's so interesting that you see certain people go on there. Like I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> like like when I saw Rich's. Um, picture. I'm like, wow, yeah. he did this. I'm like, there's got to be more to this. And uh, thanks for the breakdown. It's so cool. I didn't yeah. know it was. Like it is cool really, thing. really cool. If you get an opportunity, go. I mean, yeah, it's a, it breaks you because it's a hard place to be, but it's also like super magical. So, how long is it? Um, we go for nine days. It's a long thing. Wow. Um, and do yeah. you, uh, sorry to keep peppering questions on this, but is no, it? No, it's my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, okay, right, <laughs> perfect. That's great. So do you like bring a tent? Do you drive out there? Is it, you know, what are the rules? Yeah, there's open the camping, rules. but generally you want to join a camp. Um, it just helps. So we, we are at a camp where it's like they provide food. So we pay dues at the beginning, but the camp's offering is all around workshops. And so these ones are more about like spirituality and sexuality, but there's workshops for everything. There's Ted talks, there's an ultra marathon, there's skydiving. I mean, like it's a city. So anything that you could imagine that you could want, you can find out there. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Honestly, you taught me something. I didn't even I just assumed it was a nut. Just we're, a music we're getting worldly, dude. Yeah, we, yeah. we really yeah. are. So thanks. We really are. That's awesome. Gotta get out of Philly, guys. Come on. Yeah, thanks, Ziana. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about your book. Um, sure. And your book is called uh, The 30 Day Stay or 30 Day Stay, yeah. A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium Term Rental. And we were talking before the show, I think it's releasing today, which if you're listening to the episode, it's already out um, yeah. because this episode is going to be airing in a couple of weeks. But Talk about the inception, why you wrote it. It's such a cool concept. It's it's new to me, at least. Um, what's the story behind it? Yeah, so I wrote it with Sarah Weaver. So I don't know if you guys have heard her, but she's done a little bit with Bigger Pockets too. Um, so we met because she interviewed me for um, she was putting on like a virtual conference last year. And then we ended up going to FinCon together. And at FinCon, I was really like, I want to write a book. And Sarah had, um, she had ghostwritten a book. And so I felt like she knew how to do it. And so that made me feel a little more confident. Like I can write a book because previously I had tried a couple of times and it's, it's intimidating as heck, man. I don't know if you guys have tried, but it's like, there's just a lot happening. There's a lot of doubts going on of like, oh, people are going to read this. Am I good enough? Am I an imposter? Like, whoa, it's a lot of stuff. Um, 
And then when we went to the Bigger Pockets conference, which was like a week or two later, I was like, I want it to happen with Bigger Pockets and I want it to be something new. Like, what have they not already published? Because they've got a lot of books out now. And it just dawned on me that I started doing this medium term rental thing right after COVID. And so I was like, I wonder if that would be like an interesting enough topic. So I'm going to go pitch it. So they had the bookstore there at the conference and I just went and talked to them about it. And they were like, sounds interesting. Send us a, you know, send us your idea. And so we had to do like a big, um, what do you call that? I don't know. It was like a 60 page pitch. Yes. Um, and they, they liked it. They bit. So wow. yeah, they, they really, rolled really it out cool. really, really fast. Books generally take like two years, but they were like, man, this is really timely. Let's get it out immediately. That's so. amazing. Good for you. So really quick, what does ghost writing a book mean? Like you're the person that wrote the book with you. She, she like wrote the book, and did another book and didn't take credit for it. Yeah. You get Why? paid to write a book for somebody. I, I guess just cause you don't have the name behind it to sell it. I'm not quite sure. Okay. And maybe you collaborate with the person, you know, maybe they don't feel like they have time or the confidence to do it. So they might just send you ideas and then you fill it all in. I'm not really sure, but in this one, we worked it, we did it together. I haven't done it. That's not why I, no, no, I did not mean that. I just mean, it's so interesting because like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'd read a book on, on like my take on, um, personal finance, real estate, like the five journey, right? Everyone, we all have our own unique journey there. And right. You could do tips and tricks along the way, tell people out, but the time commitment it is, and I don't have the whole idea. Right. But I'm like, that's a good idea. Right. You, you thought about writing one. And it's interesting that there's people out there that will just help you collab on a book. And I'm, I'm so curious, like, will they take royalties? Do you do not put their name anywhere? It's so weird. I, I don't know. Interesting thought. I but. think it's just like real estate that you can negotiate anything. Right. So it's like, it's whatever you can dream up. You can probably find someone who can do it. So, yeah. Cool. Very cool. Well, everyone should go pick it up. Again, 30 Day Stay, a real estate investor's guide to mastering the um, the medium term rental. It's a big, big thing in urban areas. And, in, uh, and it's become, I think it's become more popular as there are more restrictions that come out kind of for the short term, depending upon where you live. So everyone go pick it up. Um, and it sounds like we've made it to the core four and the core four is we kind of ask the same four questions. We want to get to know you a little bit more personally. Um, the first one is if besides your own book that you just read or just wrote, what would be your favorite real estate investing or business book that you would recommend to maybe somebody who's looking to get started? Yeah. Um, I really like never split the difference from Chris Voss. So it's all about negotiation. I think like that is a foundation for life. Like you can negotiate anything anywhere. And of course, in real estate, that's really important, but carrying it through in life is, is key. Great book. Yeah. I've read it. I, I've mentioned this on the, the last time, uh, or somebody else said this like probably two or three weeks ago, and I wasn't ready to read it because it's a lot of information to take in, but I, yeah. I'm reading it a second time and it's so good. It's so good. It just like depends on where you are yeah. in your life. If you're ready to like hear how this stuff works. So good book. It's cool. a good lesson too. If you get it on Audible, he like he's the one who reads it. So yeah, I did that. I really fun fact. I love when the author reads their book on Audible, like Rich Fatke's book. I'm like, dude, me he's talking too. to me. Oh, you're on, you're reading it. I, I well, did. It's investor. already done. Yeah, I ripped it, and it was it was it's awesome because we interviewed him on the show, and he's yeah. then talking to me in my ear 
for I don't he know, has a really movie. good voice for that too he does you know it's totally like he so does. calm and grounded you're like oh man that guy's awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, ah so cool uh, but, um, okay i just know. have to say bigger pockets is not letting us do our own audible and i'm so mad why i was like well, what a I, mess i would guys. like to hear you reading i know <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of annoying, but yeah. whatever. We're, we're not going to bash. We're, gonna, no. we're, still, we're still going to yeah. get it, but we're still going to get it. <laughs> That's okay. Just um, maybe right. not get the audio version. I mean, whatever. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, good call. But <laughs> could you read it to me? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. All right. So uh, second question of the core four is if we gave you an additional 50,000 bucks, um, just a lump sum, a check for 50K today, tax-free, how would you invest it or spend it and why? And just give us like the pie chart. You can spread it out. I would invest it. I think like for me, it's it's hard to save up more than 50K. I was literally talking about this at lunch today where it was just like, I would love to be a lender because lenders get such good returns, you know, just doing private money. And I'm like, but I can never save the money because as soon as I have enough for a down payment on anything, it's gone. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta buy a house, you know, I'm addicted to it. So yeah, I think 50K would go immediately into a house. I'd probably buy something outside of Denver that I could shorten medium term rent. Yeah, we're in that cycle right now of like, and we're, we've made a lot more active income uh, in the past year. So we're like, we're getting to that number quicker and quicker, which is great. But yeah, there's never $50,000 in each of our bank accounts. It's like, <laughs> we're just always constantly in Once you get it, it's like, bang, the same thing, yeah. same exact situation as he's like, all right, we got to get rid of it. Like, what are we doing? It's yeah. wasting money in here. Buy yeah. Something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, a key about active income, because you asked me this earlier, it's like, where are you putting your money? I was for a while only taking real estate money and then just recycling it through 1031 exchanges. And I was wanting to put active income into places where I could get big tax deductions. So like syndications where you can do like 100% of deduction on that first year or 90%. Um now I've learned the cost segregation. So I don't know if you guys are into taxes, but you can do really good um, cost segregation on short-term rentals. So that's another reason to buy them um, is that you can save a lot on taxes. It can be a big tax write-off for you. So can you, you know, if you have more questions, you can let me know. I'm not well, super I mean, into taxes. Well, I mean, just explain the cost segregation. I know. I don't know if you're a CPA. I don't think you are. But, <laughs> I am um, not. Another thing, you, you might she be. does everything. <laughs> <laughs> explain Definitely it. Explain not. it to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Explain it to us in just in layman's terms, just because we just hired a new CPA and um, we understand it a little bit, but not that much. So maybe if you could. Yeah, us, I, you honestly cool. need a CPA who gets it because it's complicated. So the very basic way that I can say it is I've seen it mostly in a car, um, apartment syndication. So what people do is they say upfront, this is like a study. They pay somebody to go do the study and it's a lot to file. But once you've got it, then you can get this big deduction. Um, basically they're looking at like what you're going to be doing over the life of holding this asset. And so they're taking all of the deductions of, of fixing it up or operating expenses and stuff yep. up front. So in Got that it. first year you can get it all taken off. Um, and so, yeah, you can do the same with a short-term rental just because it's operation is that heavy. That, is that taking that 27 and a half, uh, year, um, Depreciation. Depreciation and moving it to the first year. Is that what you're saying? I think it's separate. I think it's different separate. than that. Okay. But cool. uh, no, we're gonna I should study it. this because I yeah. feel like people want to know and I like barely understand it. 
So, so yeah, my thought is if we're just LPs in a syndication, can you do, it has to be the managing partners. No, right? Yeah, you can be LPs in a syndication, but it has to be the right kind of syndication. So the syndication will advertise it up front if they do yeah. that. Yeah. Makes so sense. you might not be in one that does it. Yeah. Cool. Or we may, we just don't know. So interesting. Yeah, you should ask. Um, cool. So question three, uh, Ziana, what has been your biggest mistake in your investing journey and how have you learned from it? Hmm. I have two. Um, one of them was not vetting a client in COVID that was going to come in and rent one of my houses. I just like didn't vet enough. And I think I got lazy because I got used to Airbnb and used to Furnish Finder where we find a lot of nurses. But I got this guy, I think like on Craigslist and he ended up destroying our place. So that was like a $15,000 lesson. So that was rough. Um, the other one was not really having a solid contract with a partnership early on. So I ended up buying something with a friend, quote unquote, and then um, he kind of screwed me over. So I eventually got the property and made a lot of money on it. So I won in the end, but it was it was rough going. So it's really good to have contracts with even, you know, just your friends. Huh. Yep. That's an, that's annoying. Well, yeah. I'm glad you came out on top because that's... Nah, that's his loss. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, like, anybody that... Anybody that we interview and ask this question to, pretty much anybody, I think there's been like one or two people that have said they haven't made big major mistakes. The oh, number totally. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 have been thrown around. It's like, if you're in this game, you're going to lose. And I think you should almost expect it to the point where it's just part of the growing process. And if you can't take a 10K loss or 11K on floors when you weren't thinking about it, then you shouldn't be in the game. Like, you're you mad about the floors still, dude? I'm still mad about the floors. <laughs> <Are you not? laughs> No, I am mad about them, but I can tell you brought up twice okay. today. He's still <laughs> It's really, it's really No, I mean, not but, fun. but there's totally upside too. Like, I think just in the fact that I had so many properties in different states in the last two years when things were just going up like crazy, it was like I'd make like 500 grand in a year doing nothing, just in yeah. equity. So, you know, sometimes it's just, putting these place markers in, even if they're basically just paying for themselves, because over time you are making money in real estate. So yeah, 100%. you could lose 10,000 here and there, but if you're making 50 on the other side or 500, it's worth it. I think it's funny because people just track cash flow so much more regular, rigorously. Like you look at it and you and make sure that it's coming in and you're making money, but then yeah, you're not like realizing that loan pay down and that appreciation, like you're creating that spread and you have all this, you do have all this equity that, you should tap into like you did with the 1031. So, um, totally. oh, good stuff. Cool. Last question on the quote for is what do you want your legacy to be? So what gets you out of bed every mm -hmm. morning to do what you do? And what's your, I guess your big why? Yeah, this changes a lot. And I think now I really want to help people to become financially independent because I want them to have the space to pursue their passions I just don't think passion and work are necessarily the same. People talk about passions in their work, but I think that often passion is something that's more like a hobby. Um, and I want people to have space to do those things. And a lot of times they're so worried about surviving. So yeah, just trying to make the world a better place, you know, yeah, world no, peace, no, no whatever. Good stuff. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great answer. Love it. Um, cool. So we made it to the last drop. And uh, the last drop, we let's just say you could go. I don't even know how old you are, but let's say you could go back. I assume I not, do, but you can't say a lady's age. Oh, dude. true. But you're not 18, right? So <laughs> no. let's say if you could go back and talk to your 18 year old self, 
look at her in the mirror, what advice would you tell her? Uh, well, first off that it's all going to work out because that's good to know. Um, second, I probably wouldn't have gone to college because that was sort of a waste of money. Set me back a little bit. Um, and third, I would probably get working with someone in real estate. So yeah, maybe if you get your license immediately, it wouldn't really work. But if you can work under somebody, be, you know, an assistant or just something close to an investor or an agent, you can learn so much. And I think just having something close to them is great. It's a good place to start. This is going to be interesting because I have no idea, but I think it might provide a little bit of perspective. What did you major in in college? And did you you (laughs) graduate and go through all four years? Yeah. So I studied merchandise marketing at a fashion school. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, you know, I mean, I never worked in that field. Um, yeah. And then I you are became fa- a massage you are therapist. So yeah. You know, yeah. I, I know how to put together. I know my way around a closet, you know, great. <laughs> do, you, but, uh... do, do you decorate or decorate? See, I'm really into fashion. Uh, do you make your own, uh, how do I say this? I guess clothing for Burning Man. Is that a thing? Or do you guys, no, just... but I costuming is an art, and I do think that that's like something that is one of my like offerings. Is like I oh. love to costume and like create experiences. So like when I go out there, it's just like people are like, "Shit, yes, yes to everything you're doing." Love it. I used to. <laughs> so it's rock... not for nothing. Then. <laughs> yeah. No, rock it's not for nothing. Outfits, Batman outfits. Uh, yeah, you can even still do that. Just every day, dude. Just shred them. How old? Like like under ten. <laughs> But all the time, maybe up to 13. Nice. Okay. (laughs) Very cool. We just like to ask, I don't know. It's cool to get to know you a little bit more and like the, how your college experience, I was fortunate enough. And I say this on the podcast, my parents paid for college. I do have small loans. They're not, they're not large, but I would say if I had to pay for it myself, I don't think I needed it. I don't think I needed to go. I probably wouldn't have gone if knowing now, yeah. but it's hard to say that too when you're 18 because everyone's doing it. And it's kind of like, but if you're going to take up to $150,000 in debt, I mean, our suggestion would be to, to, to try Stay to not go. Yeah. Or go to community college. Yeah. Um, cool. So first of all, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate yeah, your time me. and your expertise. And we just, I feel like we vibe well. So um, thank you. But what is uh, the best way for people to get in touch with you if they really want to learn more about you, network, maybe um, be mentored, or if they're looking to purchase a, a property? Yeah, Instagram, I feel like, is the is the funnel. So I answer all my DMs. So reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at Ziana McIntyre. Cool. Well, Ziana, thank you so much for coming on the show. As Corey mentioned, it was a pleasure. Like I said, I, I thought we vibed very well. It's a great episode, and I think people are going to get a lot from it. So thanks for coming on and dropping some bombs on us. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.